All right. Good morning, Central Church. How is everyone? Fantastic. Great to see you this morning. Those of you joining us online, wherever you are, on vacation here, here in Sioux Falls, home, if you're in the concourse, uh, overflow, wherever you are today, we're glad you're joining us here for worship this morning. Um, hey, if you have a Bible this morning, and I hope you do, take it out and turn to Matthew 16. If you can find the New Testament, you, you found Matthew because it's the very first book of the New Testament. Matthew 16, we're going to jump in there in just a second. At the beginning of the year, we started a brand new series called Foundations. Foundations. A foundation is a necessary structure upon which something is built. And I said that who Jesus is and what Jesus taught is the foundation of the church. And that Jesus has given us foundational truths with which we can build the church. And the very first week, I said that one of the foundational truths is that lost people, spiritually lost people, matter to God, and therefore they should matter to us. And we looked at at three parables in Luke chapter 15, a parable of a lost sheep, a parable of a lost coin, and a parable of a lost son. And through those teachings, Jesus was telling the Pharisees that lost people matter to God, and therefore they should matter to us as well. Uh, The second week, we talked about the fact that every Christian is in the game. Every Christian is in the game. If you are a follower of Christ, he doesn't want you sitting in the stands. He doesn't want you standing on the sidelines. He wants you in the game, meaning he wants you involved in his work. Um, He doesn't want you being a spectator. He wants you being a player. And, and, And God has given each believer gifts, and he calls each of us priests. He says we're to be about doing the work that he's called us to do, every one of us. Today we're going to talk about the fact that the church was created to grow. The church was created to grow. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are are welcome in this place this morning. We desperately need you. And Lord, there there are so many people here that are just dealing with issues of life that, that are overwhelming, whether they're health issues, financial issues, family issues, Uh, mental health issues, whatever they might be, Lord, you you know the needs of every person that's listening online, every person that's seated here with us today live. And Lord, I just pray that you would minister by the power of the Holy Spirit according to each of those needs. And Lord, I pray that you would open up your word to us this morning, help us to understand more clearly your mission for the church. And I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Foundations. The church was created to grow, both spiritually and numerically. Not not either or, but both and. God's intention for the church is that that it grows, both in a spiritual sense and in a numerical sense. When, When people say, God doesn't care if the church grows numerically, as long as it's growing spiritually, they don't understand God's mission. Let me say that again. If people say that that God doesn't care if the church is growing numerically, as long as it's growing spiritually, if that's the case, they don't understand God's mission. That's like saying uh, sports, the purpose of sports is building character, not winning, right? It's like saying the, the, the mission of sports is not winning. Winning doesn't matter when it comes to sports. What matters is building character. Well, don't tell Izzy Moore, who attends Central Church and plays basketball at Augustana University, don't tell Izzy Moore that winning doesn't matter. Uh, I just forgot his name. I call him Ike, Isaac Fink. Don't tell Isaac Fink that winning doesn't matter, that, that all that matters is building character. 
Uh, Isaac also attends Central and plays basketball at Augustana College. Because if you watch those kids play, if you watch those teams play, they're in it to win it. They're, they're not there primarily to build, to build character. See, the mission of sports is winning. Character building happens along the way. So let me say it this way. If, if the mission of sports was to build character, if the highest aspiration, the, the greatest goal and ambition of playing sports was to build character, then we should all just become Vikings fans, right? <laughs> that, that will build character, amen? Come on. That, that'll build character in your life. <laughs> now, again, the mission of sports is winning. Building character happens as, as a byproduct along the way. Now, if you are a 49ers or a Lions or a Ravens or I think there's another team playing, isn't there? Oh, yeah, or, or a Chiefs fan, let me ask you a question. Are, are your hopes that as they play these games that they build character or bring home a championship? Come on. Why are you going to watch that game? Oh, I hope they get stronger in their character. No, because you know what that means? That means they lose. Because your character is built more by losing than winning. So we don't want our guys to have character built. We want to win the game. And the mission of the church is to grow, both spiritually and numerically. But if you look around, especially in our country, it might not look like the church is growing numerically. A LifeWay research study in 2019 said that they saw that 4,500 American churches, Protestant churches, closed their doors. Only 3,000 new churches were started, which means that every year there's about 1,500 churches that cease to exist. A Gallup poll showed that for the very first time in the United States now, less than 50% of adults attend church. Like, it wasn't long ago that was 80 and 90% of American adults attended church. doesn't mean they were Christians, but it means they attended church. Today, less than 50%. I grew up in, in a, a Nazarene church in California, Southern California. And, and the church kind of went through growth spurts and, and then, you know, but, but eventually it kind of began to decline. The church that I grew up in in Southern California no longer exists. It, it's not there anymore. Maybe that's been your church experience. You, you were part of a church, and it was good for a while, and then a decline set in, and maybe it's just, just kind of a lot smaller now, or maybe that church doesn't exist. I, I don't know what your, what your experience is. I also know there are several churches here in Sioux Falls that, that they seem to be more interested in keeping new people out than allowing new people to come in. It's like if you don't live according to some, some moral standard, you feel like you're not welcome in that church, which is just the opposite of a church here in the community, a pastor friend of mine that I talked with this week. And he said last weekend, they, before the service started, they, they caught a young man in the bathroom smoking pot. And some of the people were just all up in there. What, pastor, what are we going to do? The pastor said, praise the Lord. This is fantastic. He was over the moon. He said, do you see who God is bringing to our church? Pot smokers who need a savior. Come on. That church will grow both spiritually and numerically because that pastor believes that lost people matter to God and they should matter to us. And that's our attitude here at Central. We, we want people to come wherever they are in their life, 
whatever they might be struggling with, we want them to sit here. We want them to hear the message of Christ and find Christ to be a savior that changes their life. That's our hope. We want to be inclusive with people that desperately need to know Jesus Christ. But again, if you look around, it might, it might not seem like the church is growing numerically. So let's turn this morning to, to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin reading in verse 13 because, because the church was created to grow both spiritually and numerically. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, the Son of Man was an Old Testament reference or title for the Messiah, for the Christ. Jesus is talking about himself. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, all of those people had died. So the idea was that one of those prophets had been resurrected and was now working miracles Um, that Jesus was one of those prophets resurrected. Then he asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter stood up and said, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied and said, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. you. You did not learn this from any human being. The reality is we don't, we don't come to faith. We don't come to recognizing that Jesus Christ is God on our own. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a revelation that God gives to us that that Jesus is, in fact, God, and then we have the choice to make. Are we going to surrender to him or are we going to reject him? So Peter had a revelation from from the Father that that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. He was the Christ. And Jesus says, this came to you by revelation. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will build my church. My church, says Jesus, the gates of hell, the powers of hell will not conquer it. Hi. <laughs> Just kidding. The gates of hell won't conquer it. Now I've got to look at my notes because I got distracted with that, that phone call there. Um, the church that Jesus is talking about in that verse is not the institutional church, not the organizational church. It's not central church. It's not the Presbyterian church down the street. It's not the congregational church that meets downtown. It's those churches, those local churches and institutions are filled with both Christians and non-Christians, followers of Christ and non-followers of Christ. There there are people seated here today that have not yet committed their lives to Christ. So the, the local institutional church, small c church, represents both Christians and non-Christians. The church that Jesus is talking about, when he says, I will build my church, that's the, that's the worldwide, global church made up only of Christians. It's Christians everywhere in the world. It's those that have surrendered their lives to Christ. It's not a mixed batch of, of Christians and non-Christians. Jesus says that church, in other words, my people are going to continue to grow in the world. I'm going to continue. So the big C church is the worldwide community of Christians. And they may be gathering in small C churches all over the world, but the big C church is only made up of people that are following Christ, have been born again, born of God. So so why will the church continue to grow? What what guarantee do we have that the church is going to continue to grow? Well, I want to give you three quick thoughts on that. And the first is this. Jesus said he would build it. Jesus said he would build it. We can trust Christ and we can trust 
his word. Again, verse 18. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. The, the word there in the Greek for build is the Greek word oikodemeo. You probably recognize the first part of that word, right? What is it? Oikos. Oikos. Oikos means house. Demeo means to build, to, to construct, to build a house. So that Greek word literally means to construct, establish, edify, advance, or enlarge. So let me ask the question, what is, what is Jesus doing right now? He's building his church. He's building the church. Notice Jesus didn't say, I will maintain my church. Jesus didn't say, hey, we, we got 12 disciples and we got about 70 other people that are following us. That's pretty good. Let's just stay there. Let's, let's just manage the church. There's a big difference between managing the church and building the church. Difference between managing a business and building a business. One has growth and the other doesn't. If you're just managing something, it's not growing. If you're building something, you're constructing it, you're enlarging it, you're edifying it, you're expanding it. And Jesus said, I will build, oikodemeo, I will build my church. I will advance it. Henry Blackaby wrote a book called Experiencing God. Anybody read Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God? Great book, foundational to the Christian life. If you've never read Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, highly encourage you to read that. In his book, his premise is this. God is always working around us. God is always working around us. And the second part of that is, and therefore God invites us to join him in his work. God is always working around us and God invites us. God doesn't say, why don't you go start something? Why don't you go start a ministry? Why don't you go, 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 go stir something up? No, he says, I'm already doing something. Why don't you join what I'm doing? I will build my church. So, so Blackaby bases that on John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, which says this. The Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. The word working there is a, is a, is a present tense Greek verb, verb, which simply means the action is continuous. My father is continuously working and so am I. So Jesus is constantly, consistently, continuously working around us. What's he doing? He's building his church. What's he doing in your oikos? What's he doing in your relational world? He's building his church. What does that mean? It means he's saving people or moving people towards salvation. If, if Jesus is always working, he's always working around us, and he, jo- he calls us to join him in his work, that means as Jesus builds his church, he's building it around us in the people that we love, in the people that are near to us but far from God. He's either saving them or moving them toward salvation. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, Heather and Ashley Holloman wrote a book called Sent. We use that book here to, to teach uh, how to share your faith. It's a great book, uh, highly recommended, Sent by, by the Hollomans. But they do this exercise in this book with some of the students that they're discipling. What they do is they send a text message out randomly at some point during the day. And the text message simply says, what do you see? What do you see? 
It's based on John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman, an unsaved woman at a well in Samaria. And he has a conversation with her about life and about spiritual life and that he, in fact, is the Messiah. And, And she gets so excited that she leaves her water pot at the well and she runs into the town and she finds her oikos. She finds the people that she knows in the city and she tells them, I think I found the Christ. He told me everything that I ever did in my life. I I think this might be Jesus. So the people in her oikos came running out back to the well to, to talk to Jesus. And it says that as they were coming out to see Jesus, Jesus says to his disciples, lift up your eyes and look. He's talking about the people coming. Lift up your eyes and look. He says the harvest is already ripe. You know, you you say the harvest comes in four months. I'm telling you, the harvest is here right now because my father is always working and I'm working all the time. And these people that you see coming to me, they're coming because they've heard the gospel and they want to know, they want to know more. So the, the, the Holomans send a text message out to their students randomly at some point during the day. And it simply says this, what do you see? And what they mean by that is the students are supposed to stop right there just for a moment and they're supposed to look around in their immediate physical world and say, God, is there anyone right now that you're asking me to engage with, that you're asking me to enter into a conversation with, that you're asking me to to focus on in this moment? As you go through your day, do you ask the question, what do I see? Are you asking the question, Jesus, what what are you doing? If you're always working, what, what are you doing in the people around me? And as you step into conversations, that ought to be your your antenna is, God, what are you doing here? Where are they spiritually? What's what's going on in their life? See, because when God called me, he had someone else in mind. And if Jesus is always working, and if he's working to build his church, that means he's doing that in the people that he's placed in our lives. So Jesus said that he would build his church, and he's doing it right now. The second thing is Jesus said Satan wouldn't stop it. Jesus said Satan wouldn't stop it. Again, verse 18, let's look. I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock of revelation that I am the Christ, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. Satan cannot stop Jesus from building his church. Come on, someone. His power's been broken. He doesn't have the authority to stop Jesus from building his church. Why do we have confidence the church will continue to grow? Jesus said, I will build it. And he also said, Satan won't stop it. Let's look at a couple other scriptures. Hebrews chapter 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Did Jesus die? Was Jesus resurrected? Then Jesus broke the power of death that was held by the devil. Death can no longer hold humanity down through Christ. Jesus broke the power. Satan no longer has power to keep people in death. Jesus is now free to completely build his church. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. When Jesus had disarmed, disarmed means he took their weapons away. They they don't have weapons. They they can no longer enforce their evil and enforce their darkness and keep people in hell. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, 
having triumphed over them through the cross. Jesus triumphed over all of the spirits of darkness, all of the forces of hell that had power over death, hell, and the grave. Jesus crushed them and won the victory. I love being on a winning team. I hate losing. That's probably why I was talking about this morning. Sports is about winning. Do you want to be on a winning team? Join Christ's team because we win. Have you read the end of the book yet? We win. The church wins. We are are caught up to heaven with Christ to live eternally with him in a world that we could never even imagine, free of sin and pain and suffering and darkness. We win, and Satan can't do anything about it. That's pretty good news. He crushed the power of darkness, and Satan knows it better than the church. Satan knows that he has no real weapons, no real power to enforce darkness in our lives, so he just tries to stick his nose in people's lives. He just tries to, do you know anybody that just is always sticking their nose in y'all business, right? Like, just interfering with what's, just like, get out of here. Why why are you stepping into this all the time? I I don't want, that's what Satan does with the people in your relational world that don't know Jesus. He just tries to interfere with them. He tries to obstruct their vision, their understanding of who Jesus is. He doesn't have the power or authority to keep them, so he just tries to kind of deceive them into believing what isn't true. Here's what Paul says, First, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. They don't see the glory of Jesus. There's something that's dimmed that. A veil has been put over their eyes, who is the image of God. So he tries to keep them from an understanding of who Christ is and who they are. He tries to keep them from this understanding that I'm a, I'm a pretty wretched sinner. I'm separated from Jesus, and I need Christ who died on the cross for me to forgive my sins. He tries to, to veil that. He tries to shade that in their lives and keep people from understanding that. Look at what else he does. Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, they were separated physically, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. He kept kept getting in the way of Paul going back to the church. Why didn't he want Paul to go back to the church? Because Paul was going to teach them the word. He was going to teach them truth. He was going to share the gospel with them. If there was anybody there that wasn't saved, he was going to share the gospel. And Satan just tries to do a couple of things. He tries to blind us to our own sinfulness and our need for Christ and how glorious Christ is. The second thing is he wants to keep people from hearing the gospel. He wants to hear them from hearing God's truth because he knows when people hear God's truth, God will give a revelation of who he is. So, so you know, invite people to, to opportunities. I mean, you can share the gospel with people, but, but invite them to church. Invite them to, to church meetings or other places where they can hear the good news about Christ. Because when they, when, they, when they hear it, and that's why Satan doesn't want them to hear it, when they hear it, when the, the seed of the gospel is planted in their lives, it's, it's going to begin to grow. It's going to begin to make sense to them. Satan doesn't want that to happen in their lives. So Satan has lost his power. He can't keep people there, but he tries to deceive and interfere and stand in the way and block them from coming to Christ. And we don't really have the authority in the sense of changing someone's heart. We don't have the power to change someone's heart. But God does. I love what Tom Mercer says in his book, Not My Church. Tom is a, 
is a personal friend. He, he leads a, a church called High Desert Church in Victorville, California. He's the Oikos guru. Um, our elders have been going through a book, this book by Tom, Not My Church. And I love what he says about this. He says, we might not have the power or authority to step in and change a person's heart, but we have access to someone who has both. Amen? God has the power and the authority to change the human heart, and that's why we pray. So the first week we talked about lost people matter to God in your bulletin. Every one of you got a, an Oikos prayer card. And if you didn't get one, there's a bookcase straight out those doors to the right. Just take one off the, the bookshelf. I, I asked you if you would take this and write down the names of everyone in your life that's near to you but far from God. They, they don't know Christ. I asked you to write their names down. And then I said, put this in your Bible. And, and if you can pray every day, pray every day. If you can't pray every day, pray as often as you can that, that the blinders that Satan has put on their minds so that they can't see the glory of Christ would be removed. And pray that, that they would hear the gospel. Pray that they would accept an invitation to come to church. Pray that they would accept an invitation to, to go to your life group or somewhere where they can hear the good news about Jesus Christ, maybe a Christian concert or somewhere. But, but pray for them, and God is going to begin to work on their heart. See, God is, Jesus said, I will build my church. And, and Jesus said, I'm constantly working all around you, and I'm working to build my church, but I need you to partner with me. I need you to pray. I need you to pray for the lifting of the blindfold in people's eyes and that every, everything Satan does to keep people from coming to church, you keep praying and you keep asking, and God will be faithful, amen, with those in your life that don't know him or lost people. The third reason that we can be confident the church will continue to grow is, is Jesus said the church would extend it. The church would extend his kingdom, extend his church in the world. Let's look in, in John chapter 15, verse 16, as we bring this to a close. Jesus says, now I, I want you to count the number of yous in this verse, the number of times the word you is used in this verse. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Jesus is speaking. And I appointed you to go, say to go. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. How many yous in that? Five yous. All of those yous are, are in, in the Greek are in the plural or collective. He's not speaking to individuals. He's speaking to all of the disciples at the same time or the church. So, so this is a verse that applies to us collectively. Now let's read it again. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask. Now, the preceding verses of verse 16 is in John 15 is where Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. How many of you have heard of that, that story, that parable? I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you're connected to me, you have life. It, it, no, no one that, that isn't connected to the vine has life. You, you can't do anything apart from me. You can't bear fruit apart from me. And as we've read those verses, we've always read that through the lens of our individual lives. In other words, abide in the vine, abide in Christ. I need to stay, stay connected to Jesus, and that's absolutely true, but there's also a corporate element to this. In the preceding verses, Jesus is saying, abide in my word and my character. As we abide in the character of Christ, as we abide in the person of Christ, we, we become more like him. His life begins to come into our lives, and we begin to reflect the very character and the nature of Jesus. But in verse 16, Jesus says something else. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to what? To go and bear fruit. 
Well, he had been talking about another kind of fruit earlier, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of godly character, the fruit of of emulating Christ and becoming more like him. Now he says, I appointed you to go and bear fruit. What's the fruit that he's talking about now? People coming to Christ. You sharing the gospel, you sharing your life story, you, you, you sharing with people what God has done in your life, and as a result of them hearing about Christ, them wanting Christ to lead their lives. That's the fruit that he's talking about in verse 16. As we go, we bear fruit in our lives. We, we usually don't look at those verses of abiding in the vine as collective, and we usually don't see it as going and telling. We see it as just kind of praying and reading the Bible and staying close to Jesus and learning from him. But here Jesus is calling the church not to abide in his character, but to abide in his mission. And when the church abides in the mission of Christ, there's great fruit. People get saved. If the church remains connected to Christ's mission of going, it bears fruit. Churches stop growing when they stop what? Going. Why isn't the church growing numerically? Maybe we're not going. Maybe we're not doing what Jesus said. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, to go and make disciples, to go and lead others to Christ, to go and share your story, to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, wherever the gospel is preached, there's fruit. Let's look at a couple verses. Colossians 1, this same good news, the good news that that Jesus was God and Jesus became a human and Jesus lived a sinless life and Jesus died a criminal's death on the cross so that he could take humanity's sin upon himself so that your sin could be forgiven and my sin could be forgiven and that when we die, we can go to heaven and be with God. That good news that Jesus can change your life right now. He says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. In other words, the church was preaching the good news of Jesus. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. Say everywhere. Everywhere the gospel is preached, there's fruit. Everywhere the gospel is preached, people will get saved. It's powerful. Just as it changed your lives from the the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. As it was in your life, it's going to be in other people's life. As you heard the gospel and surrendered to Christ, as you share the gospel, other people will surrender to Christ. Another verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this good news, this gospel about Christ. It's the very power of God at work saving everyone who believes. The gospel has power. This message about Jesus Christ that you share has incredible power to change people's lives as it changed yours. Another scripture. As Luke summarizes the parable of the farmer that went out and sowed seeds, he says this. This is the parable. The seed is what? The word of God. And when the word of God is planted in the soil of people's hearts, it begins to grow. Last scripture, Romans 10, 17. Faith, faith in Christ comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. Where does faith for salvation come from? Hearing the message. You heard the message about Jesus and you responded to it. How do other people get saved? By hearing the good news that Christ can save you from sin. Christ can give you a brand new life. Christ can give you eternal life. When you hear the good news, the Holy Spirit begins to germinate that in your heart and move you towards salvation. Remember, what is Jesus doing right now? He's building his church. 
What does that mean? It means he's saving people and moving people towards salvation. It means that the 8 to 15 people in your relational world, your oikos, he's working on them. And it means as you go forth as a faithful farmer, simply sharing the seed of God's word, the hope of God's word, that their life can be changed through Christ, it'll bear fruit. It'll bear fruit. It always bears fruit. Now, they can, they can harden their hearts. They can resist God, and people do that. And we can't control that. Our responsibility is not to change the human heart. It's to plant the seed of God in the human heart and let God work on them and let God's timing come about in their life. Faith comes from hearing this glorious message about Christ. Jesus said he would build his church, not maintain it. Jesus said it would grow, it would advance, it would expand. His kingdom would grow in all of the earth. It would grow in your world. It would grow in your oikos. He said he would build the church around you and the people that you love and care about that don't know Christ. Jesus is calling each of us to be involved in that work of building the church. And he's always working around us continuously. But our job is to pray. Satan can't stop what God's doing, but we have power to eliminate his distractions and his deceptions as we call on God to work in people's hearts. Churches stop growing when they stop going. I think my church in Southern California probably stopped going. They probably stopped going and sharing the good news and therefore the church wasn't built like Jesus wanted it built. Abiding in the mission of Jesus, not just the character of Jesus, which brings spiritual growth, but abiding in the mission of Jesus has, has created some challenges for us at Central. Look around. How many empty seats do you see? Why are there not many empty seats here? Because you've been faithful. You've been faithful to embrace the mission of Christ, to abide in the mission, to go and share. And as you've shared with your friends, as you've shared with people, this church has grown not only spiritually, but it's grown numerically. And that brings some challenges. And, and it's not an option for us to say, we're quitting the mission. We have enough people. Let, let's start cutting people off from coming. Really? Like your relative, your best friend? No place at Central because we have enough? Well, you know, for the last three months, we've been really investigating the, 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 the possibility of physically expanding our campus. Many of you came to a meeting in October about that. And we shared with you kind of where, where we were in the process. Well, a lot's happened in the last three months. And we're having a meeting tonight at five o'clock. And if Central Church is your home, man, you need to be at the meeting. This is not a meeting where the leaders of the church impose on you what we think God wants us to do. It's a meeting where we collectively begin to move together and say, okay, God, we, we, we recognize we're out of space. Here are some options that we could pursue. God, what are you saying? We need you to pray with us. We need you to speak into this. We need you to be a part of this community that we can collectively hear God's voice and see what God is saying as we deal with the problem, a good problem, of abiding in his mission and seeing the fruit of it. So if you're available tonight, man, man please come at 5 o'clock. If you're not available, please watch it. We're going we're gonna to live stream it. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus, we love you this morning, and we, we thank you for your promise to build the church. And we pray this week, Lord, as we go out, that we would be mindful that you are working all around us. We'd be mindful that you never stop working, even the people that we don't think will get saved. You're, you're doing something. Help us to pray hard and help us to, to be faithful to share the seed of your word and, 
into people's lives, that they might turn to Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Have a great day.